Welcome back, everyone, to Your Life, God's Word, where we take the principles found in Scripture and we apply them to our everyday lives, those areas that are most important, faith, family, and community. All right, welcome back, everybody. I hope you are all doing well, staying blessed, and I just wanted to open up by encouraging everyone, go ahead and... Uh, give us show us some love in the uh, in the algorithms when it comes to things like Spotify. Uh, you can go out and leave a review. Uh, if it's anything less than five stars, then uh, reach out and let us know what we can do to make it better first. <laughs> and then, but if you can uh, give us a five star review, that will help to allow this thing to trickle. Uh, a little more to the top and get in front of more folks and be shared a little bit more. Also share with specific folks you feel like will benefit from this as well as on the old YouTubes. Uh, It's great there if you like and subscribe and all of that, but if you're already uh, subscribed, leaving comments actually makes a difference. So even if it's just something simple like great word or whatever, or uh, I totally disagree, well, leave, leave a comment and we can, um, we can get in front of more folks and have a little bit more impact with the things we're doing with this ministry. So if you find any value out of this, then I'm asking just take a couple of minutes each time we drop an episode, leave a review on that specific episode, and uh, also go ahead and leave a comment as well. Well, I can promise you uh, it takes a lot less time to leave a comment and uh, a quick five-star review than it does to put together, to study for, and um, to edit and produce one of these one of these episodes. So anyway, that is my spiel for today. We are continuing on in our study of 1 Samuel 17 when it uh, we're talking about David, Goliath, and the different things that sort of rise up out of this chapter. I just think there's a lot there, a lot of principles that we can dive into and look at. Go back and check out the first couple of episodes that we've already done to kind of figure out where we are and what we've done so far. Uh, Because we're going to be picking up uh, with verse 22 through about 30, 31 in there and moving forward through the chapter with additional principles and insights. So with that said, uh, I'm going to open up with 1 Samuel 17 and 22. So here we go. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he has come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. So, in the last uh, podcast, we talked about uh, how it is, it is those who have a servant's heart. The servants are the ones that get promoted. God looks at humility, and that is something he can work with, and that's something he can then take and uh, br- sort of bring to the next level. Somebody that's humble, 
He can use them. Somebody that's humble, he can promote them. Somebody that's humble, he can bless them. And he can trust them uh, to be sort of after his heart when it comes to their character, their mind, and the like. Now here, I want to talk a little bit about what, what should drive us as people of God. He asked this question, and this is in the, you know, worded in the KJV, but is there not a cause? You know, what is the purpose? What is, what is the thing that is driving us? A lot of times, as, uh, especially as like Western Christians, the thing that's driving us is not the main thing. It's not the thing that really is going to hold us, keep us, uh, it's really often not even the thing that God wants us to be like pursuing. And often what happens is this makes us less of a disciple. It makes us far uh, smaller of a Christian, uh, much less effective and uh, the like when it comes to working in the kingdom of God, being a true man or woman of God, uh, pursuing ministry and these kinds of things. It, it, it really inhibits us if we're not really, if we don't have our, our mind our, our, on the right goal, on the right focus, our mind is not geared toward the, the right pursuits. So again, let, let, me just, let me just go back to 1 Samuel. These guys are like, hey, uh, if somebody takes out Goliath, um, you know, they get the they get the king's daughter, so they're going to be, you know, right there in the king's family. They uh, get to be free, right, in Israel, which means probably they don't have to pay taxes, and they can kind of, you know, they, they can they can absolve themselves of some of these these duties and stuff that are that are placed on us by the king. And you know, you get you get prestige and promotion and riches and all this stuff. Well, that wasn't enough to <laughs> convince any of these guys to go and fight Goliath, because at the end of the day, what good is a beautiful bride and riches and promotion if you're dead, right? If your head is in the hand of Goliath, right, up on his pike, uh, doesn't do you any good. And so they they were like, uh-uh, I'm, I'm doing a cost-benefit analysis here, and it's not, the benefit is not, not worth it. Well, in our walk with God, often the benefit is not worth it if we're looking at a life of true uh, Christian uh, service, servitude, uh, denying ourselves, things like self-control. Um, I, was, I was talking with someone recently, and they were, uh, they, they, just, just full disclosure, they are not a, um, you know, a member of our congregation or anything like that, just a friend, someone... Uh, that we we kind of hang with and stuff sometimes, and they uh, uh, we we actually went and uh, hung out and stuff, and then they, they they had some questions and they and they were asking some questions of of me and one of the other pastors afterward, sort of after you know the crowd dissipated and we were kind of just kind of hanging back, and uh, they were they were kind of pouring out their heart and letting us know that they had visited several of the very large churches in the area, several different denominations, multiple different congregations. And they said they just they, they can't find a place that really appeals to them. And w because what they're looking for is a place that teaches uh, you know, scripture, there's um there is a pursuit of righteousness there. There is a you know, a holiness, a, a, a gravitas in, in, in the word of God and the things of God, the way they were wording it and the, what, what they're pursuing is they're looking for real Christians, right? Not just, uh, I, I go to church on Sunday, Christian. Um, and they, they were sort of decrying the, the fact that many, many, many Christians, many, many, many leaders, many, many pastors, many churches, they're just a sort of a a breeding ground or a cesspool of carnal Christianity, which I I say that, but that's not real Christianity. Carnal Christianity is is like saying a veggie burger. <laughs> right? I mean, I've eaten veggie burgers, right? Black bean burgers. That is not a burger. 
That is something other than a burger. Now, if you don't want a burger, then have that black bean thing, right? Now, I've done that before, but a, a, a burger is made of beef, right? Now, you can maybe it's an ostrich burger or a bison burger or whatever, but um, it, right, the, a, a, a true Christian is a disciple of Jesus Christ. When you go to the book of Acts, the first time they were called Christians, they were called Christians not because they like slapped a bumper sticker, they went to a certain place on Sunday and they said they said Jesus every so often. Um, you know, when they're when they're giving their Christmas wish list, they're they're sending it to Jesus instead of Santa Claus. That is not what real Christianity is. So this 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 person is pursuing real Christianity. The real deal, like the real McCoy, and visiting lot. And again, where where do people visit? If somebody goes into a town and they're they're looking for a a church, generally the places that that kind of float to the top on the surface, right? Where are you going to look? You're going to look at Google, maybe Facebook. You're going to ask around. I, I don't know, right? But but the people who are advertising the ministry are a lot of times the ones who have the most money, and. A lot of times the churches that have the most money are the bigger churches. They're the big ones. They're, they're the ones with lots of people, lots of money, you know, all this stuff. And so when you're searching, a lot of times that's the place you're going to first, your top 10 searches are probably going to be these very large churches, right? And size, I would say size does not matter, but often size is a negative I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying like, oh, it's a big church. It's got to be bad. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that a lot of times I could name, I, I could think of some of the biggest churches in the United States, for instance. And some of the biggest churches are some of the worst, idolatrous, carnal. You look at the people, you look at the leadership. It's all, a, it's a bunch of carnal people. You know, worship leaders are atheists, but they're singing about Jesus, Right. Or there's rampant sin and acceptance of sin amongst the leadership, amongst the congregation. And it's like, oh, whatever, you know, there's grace, there's mercy, woohoo, Jesus. But they have a lot of money. Why is that? Well, because there's a lot of money out there. And people that want to feel good about themselves, right, and and, and have some of their guilt absolved or at least feel like I, you know, I'm, not, I'm doing something to give back or something that is going to help me, you know, in, in the next life or whatever, they're, they're going to go to a place that allows them to live how they want to live, live carnally, live however you want to live, whatever, but still hold to, well, yeah, but I'm, team, I'm on team Jesus and I, I get to go to heaven when I die. This is, this is common, okay? This is very common. So we were talking to uh, this person and uh, again, not... I, I'm just not one of the, like a sleazy car salesman approach to uh, now. Not all car car salesmen or salespeople are sleazy. I said the sleazy car salesman. Um, I wasn't. I just don't take that approach when it comes to people like coming to our congregation. Obviously, I want people to come to our congregation, and I believe now I want certain people. Huh. Some people I don't want, but. Certain people who are truly hungry for God and truly want discipleship and truly want to serve and, and and do ministry and be a real Christian and be a real disciple, a biblical disciple, led by the Spirit, right, full of love and grace and grounded in truth. Those kinds of people, that that's who I want, um, and and I will invite people and I want people to come. Um, but I don't just constantly just go out there and just, oh, come on, you know, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Because I realize that there's a there's an element of hunger that people have to get to before they're really willing to be a true disciple of, of Jesus Christ. And you can coax somebody into coming to a church service or even attending, but they may not be what Jesus is looking for in the way of a disciple. And so I'm just, I'm saying all this because the walk of a true disciple, a true Christian, it is a life of self-denial, sometimes suffering, right? Self-control, putting the things of God ahead of what I may want, what my family may desire in our sort of 
carnal mind, uh, our secular mind. And these are things that a lot of people, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. A lot of people translate that as take up your extreme blessing and follow me. Take up your Jesus is going to do everything for you and ignore all your all your uh, sin and all the things you really should be changing. He's just going to ignore all that and just, man, you're on team Jesus. That's not what he said. Take up your cross. Jesus said, count the cost. And that again, that's, I want people that have counted the cost and they're ready to pursue truth. They're ready to pursue a real walk with God. And um, I, again, maybe it's just because I'm uh, I'm partial, but I truly believe that every person is a good fit for our congregation that fits that, that mold. If you really want a spirit and truth relationship with God, you want to pursue in truth, i.e. scripture, i.e. foundational, fundamental, uh, we want to follow after and obey God. You want spirit. You want the move of God. You want the gifts of the spirit. You want uh, the love of God. I believe that our congregation absolutely fits that bill. We're not perfect. We have our uh, ups and downs. We, we're, we're filled with people, but um, I believe that's where it's at. But but I don't want people to think we are just one of these folks or one of these places that uh, offers faux Christianity. We're going to make you feel good while you basically are on your way to hell, right? False Christians, false churches, false leaders and teachers. And so again, the context here is, is there not a cause? There is a cause, a purpose, a goal to pursue that is greater David had his eyes on the greater goal, right? He said, wait a minute, who is this, this Philistine? Who, who is this pagan? And how dare he confront who, who the armies of the living God? Yeah, he's confronting Saul and his older brother and all these people, but he's looking beyond that. He's looking at the eternal side of this thing right at the 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 higher order higher level goal here and this is something that scripture absolutely tells us to do it it just rises up from the scriptures over and over and over and over to the point that it's like how can someone think they're going to be a christian or think they're going to follow christ think they're going to be a disciple and not get this kind of attitude let, let me give you a, this is just a summary. This is not exhaustive list or anything, but I've already mentioned, Jesus said, count the cost. Jesus said, take up your cross, <laughs> right? Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up, right? We're looking to a goal. Weariness is something that is possible. Giving up is something that is, right? It's something that's going to, appeal to you at times. And so why don't we do that? Why don't we get weird? Why don't we give up? Because there's a goal we are going to reap. There's something here. And again, the reaping is not just, ooh, I'm going to get a, a bigger car, a better boat, a, a nicer mansion, and uh, you know, be, be, be blessed in all these things. That's not the goal. The goal is higher than that. Let me go to 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a, per a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There's a goal and a reason why we discipline ourselves, right? Christians are supposed to be disciplined people. Now, again, I realize that Christian and discipline often don't even go in the same sentence unless it's a sentence that goes something like this. Christians have about as much discipline as non-Christians or Christians have hardly any discipline, right? That's not supposed to be the case. A true Christian, a true disciple is someone who is, are they perfect? No, but they are working on, they are working on modeling and looking like Jesus Christ, not just looking like him, like sitting back and eating some grapes and oh, wow, everything's all blessing and honky-dory, but a life of self-denial, 
self-control, a lifestyle that pleases and emulates that of Jesus Christ, okay? Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a, great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, close, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So what is he saying? It, there's resistance here. There's pain here. There's suffering here, right? There's, a, there's an opportunity to get faint-hearted or to grow weary. We have to endure, right? We have to endure. Jesus did it because he had his eyes on the prize. The prize was not anything in this earthly realm, ultimately. The prize was the cause of the kingdom of God. That was the prize. And that's really where we need to put our focus, right? Verse 12, or verse 1 opens up with, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, talking about all these people that have gone on, the people of faith, right? Because this is coming out of the faith chapter, which is Hebrews chapter 11. And he names all these people like Abraham, right? Looking at this cloud of witnesses, we should do what? We should lay aside the sin. Now, again, a lot of Christians have, a lot of churches don't even identify sin. You got Chris, you got people going to churches. And I know I know great people who are hungry for God, who either have gone to places in the past but no longer do, or currently go to places that that place doesn't even show them how to live for God. They're doing the best they know how to do because they Google searched it and they did one of the top three. And one of the top three happened to be a big place with a lot of money, with a lot of marketing, and no God. <laughs> or their God is really money and not Jesus. And that's the issue. And that, and they went there and they thought that's what Christianity is, but it's not. But it's not. And that's the problem. That's the issue. There is so much more to living for God than just feeling good about yourself on Sunday morning for, you know, no more than 50 minutes because I got to be in and out of here as I get my Java and uh, don't want to talk to anybody on my way out. That is not, that's not the early church. That's not what, what you see in the book of Acts. And if you're something other than what you see in the book of Acts, then I think we need to question, what kind of church am I? What kind of church am I if I can look at the book of Acts, the birth of the early church, the things they did, the way they behaved, the doctrine they, 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 they pursued, and yet I'm 40% different. I'm 20% different. I'm 80%. Some places, 95% different. And you still think you're a church like they are? No. I'm sorry, it's just not the way. And if you're listening to this podcast uh, and you're questioning or you're wondering, or shoot us a, shoot us a line. Podcastbreadbreakers.com. We're on we're on Facebook. The main reason we're even on Facebook is so that people can reach out that maybe don't don't have another way to do so. Hit us up on Messenger. We get lots of people to do that. A lot of people that before they visit, hit us up on Messenger. Uh, we try to work the the Google algorithm right to to trickle up to the top. Why? Because amongst the top in an area, it would be great if an actual real church that is really pursuing the things of God is something that's visible that somebody can find if that's what they're looking for. And we've had people come by and visit, and that was their first, their first and last time there. That's not what they're looking for. And that's fine. But I'm calling to the people who are looking for a true ecclesia, a true church of the living God. I am saying that this is the kind of attitude we have to have. We're laying aside the sin. So a lot of churches don't even preach against sin. But how many not only preach against sin, but also preach that we need to lay aside the weights that may not even be sin, but we still need to lay them aside. There's self-sacrifice beyond just the, well, I, I won't do this if it's going to send me to hell. If I if it's absolutely necessary and required, that is when I would do it and do not ask me to do anything beyond that. That is not the attitude of a true disciple. It's not the attitude of a true Christian. And so we need to, I think, um, develop that kind of attitude, the one of a true disciple, a true Christian. So Hebrews 12, 11, so we, one through four talks about uh, the great cloud of witnesses and our... our, our uh, uh, looking to Jesus, who is our example. And then he talks about discipline 
and being corrected and chastised and all and, and all this kind of stuff. And in verse 11, so you know, five through 10, he talks about that. And then he says in verse 11, he kind of sums it up. He says, for the, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I have a question. When's the last time you really felt disciplined? Like you had a training session. Um, it was unpleasant to go to a service because, man, you, things that were not going great in your life between you and God were, the light was shined on that. And ugh, that did not feel good. It was unpleasant in the moment, but eternally, it's actually a beautiful thing that is absolutely necessary. Again, a lot of people probably can't even remember the last time that happened, where you were actually convicted at a church service, where you were actually called upon to do something above and beyond, to sacrifice. Now, every one of these places that I'm talking about, uh, they will definitely call you to uh, show up at least one, you know, once a week. And they will definitely, definitely, definitely call you to get off your money, to give to the church, because that's the only way they can survive, right? They will do those things. But beyond that, oh, they don't really care if you live in sin. They don't care if you're going to hell. As long as you're paying your money and you're showing up and being part of the crowd, they really don't care. I'm talking to people who want a cause beyond beyond the surface. Those are the people who realize that when God chastises us through the word, through leadership that, that, that corrects us, through the spirit of God and prayer that convicts us, it doesn't feel good at the time, but later it yields that peaceful fruit of righteousness, right? It's training. When you go and you work out, you know, sometimes you feel sore. Sometimes it was like, oh, that was brutal. Um, but guess what? You endure it because there's results, right? You're healthier. You're stronger. You're faster. Whatever it is, right? That's the same thing when it comes to living for God. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What? I'm going through something and I'm, I'm counting it joy because this is an opportunity for me to grow in God and be a stronger disciple for Christ? No, that is, what? 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 <laughs> no, I'm going through something? My goodness, God has to bless me out of this. I'm going through something. Oh my goodness, pray for me that this can just lift off of me. No, 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 I can't. I can't be bothered with suffering. I can't be bothered with trying in the fire. Speaking of which, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? Wow. Jesus paid it all. We're just here ready for our inheritance. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grievous by various trials. Oh, they're grieving, crying out to God, grieving, going through trials. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. That is inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, that doesn't sound so great, right? That doesn't sound like the American billboard version of Christianity. Does that sound like the message that your pastor or pastors and leaders that you're aware of? Is that how they live? Now, I'm not saying every message is about this, but I'm saying the general feel of the church is we come here to be born again. We are going to go through the fire. God is going to uh, reveal things that we need to change about ourselves. 
God is going to require stuff of us. We, we have to be disciplined, trained, corrected so that we can be strong in God because we're going to go through this fire and on the other side, we, the result is praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, we all want that, but we don't want to go through the fire. But the only way to get that is to go through the fire, right? And the fire is not, you know, one shot thing. The fire is not like I, I went to I went to service and I just I, I cried a tear and I gave my heart to Jesus and that's it. I'm I'm done. That's it. That's the fire. Wrong, wrong. That's not what he's saying. He's writing to a church saying you are grieved going through various trials, multiple different trials, and what is it doing? It's testing the genuineness of your faith. What are you saying? That there's faith that's not genuine? Yes. Anybody listening to this that's lived longer than like a day after you came to God, you know there are people who are not genuine, who claim to be, who on the surface look like they are. Of course there are. There's hypocrites everywhere, not just in the church. They're everywhere. All right. They're not just outside the church. Yes, they're in the church too. And the false does not negate the true because there's hypocrites in a church does not mean we should not go. Well, don't hang with the hypocrites, <laughs> right? Let that be fleshed out. Let them be corrected. Um, you know, but, but yeah, yeah. There's genuine faith and there's fake faith, faux faith. Now, uh, these, this is just a smattering of scriptures, a spattering, smattering, spattering of scriptures that... Um, show that we need to have goal orientation. We need to have a long game view. We need to be looking not at the current trial or tribulation. We need to not be looking at current circumstances all the time, but rather we have a long game, right? Our cause, our view is up here. It's eternal. It's heavenly. We're not always just looking at what do I get out of it in the immediate um, moment, so David had this view, and he he speaks up. Who is this guy? What? We need to we need to put the smack down on this joker, like defying God. How dare he? And what happens? Do the people of God rally behind him and say, "Oh my goodness, you are so right. We've been looking at the wrong things. We need to we need to put this in the context of you know pagans versus the true God Yahweh. And now let's go, let's go conquer this guy. And then there was a line of people out the out the tent of Saul, ready to take Goliath. No, that's not what happened. Guess what happened? Opposition from his own brother, from another member of the people of Israel that should have had the same attitude as David, but didn't. And when he recognized that he didn't have the right attitude, when he recognized these sharp things that were being said by David, that, yeah, they were kind of cutting to all the cowards that were hiding in their tents. Why weren't they having this attitude? Why weren't they having this reaction? And said they were running and hiding in their tents. Yeah, there was some conviction there. Yes. Yes. When truth is spoken, people that even kind of lean toward truth, but they're not really operating in it, they get convicted. <clears throat> what they do with that conviction is what matters. Do they repent and say, you know what? I need to get on board with this. Or... Do they do the thing that the person who feels conviction but isn't going to make the, the change, isn't going to repent, isn't going to uh, lean into God? What did they do? From the beginning, they kill the one who's doing right. Okay? What do I mean from the beginning? The first example of this in Scripture is Cain and Abel. Cain, well, <coughs> excuse me, he even had the opportunity. God gave him the opportunity to do right. Did he take it? God said, hey, if you repent, change your mind here, do what's right, you'll be accepted. But watch out because sin is lying at the door. And... Cain, instead of saying, you know what, I didn't give you what you what you desired, my brother did, I'm going to go ask him, hey, what, what do I need to do here? Or I'm going to go trade some fruit for a lamb, and then I'll, I'll sacrifice the lamb and give that to God. No, no, no. He went and did what? Killed his brother. What did Eliab do here? He attacks his brother. He attacks David. 
opposition friendly fire opposition from the people that should be on his team on the rallying committee he's getting opposition from them why because they were convicted and they did not like the conviction but they're not willing to change okay very few people like the conviction in the moment oh i'm so glad i feel bad right now oh i'm so glad that was brought to the light and i feel embarrassed i feel ashamed who who does that nobody does that but when you have the long view, you go, I'm actually, I'm not feeling great right now, but I'm glad this happened. I'm glad for the opportunity to repent. I'm glad that I'm able to grow in God here. Why? Because you have a long game. You're looking at the right things. Your eyes are set and fixed on the right priority. Uh, that wasn't the reaction, and it often is not the reaction. And uh, I can tell you right now, some of the harshest criticism in my life has come from people that are just, they're just religious. They should have been like, yes, this is, let's go. But instead, they are confronted, convicted. They are challenged. Like, I'm not willing to go there go that extra mile, maybe, you know, do what God's calling me to do. I see that you're doing it. And instead of, man, kudos to you, I wish I could have the the strength to do that or the, the faith to do that. No, no, no. It's, well, I'm going to attack you then. Don't be surprised when you step out for God, if that's what happens. Don't be surprised if you step out for God, if you decide, I'm going to start serving God. And you come home and tell all your family, like, I'm going to start serving God now. I'm changing my life. Don't be surprised if they're not happy for you. Sometimes they are. But a lot of times they're not because they'll look at you and you've made the decision. You're making the changes. You're doing the things that they know they should do, but they're not going to. And so they're not going to be happy for you. They're going to attack you. I've seen people where they've got family members that are hooked on drugs, alcoholics, whatever. That person comes to God and starts cleaning up their life and doing things. And and are the family members happy? No. All of a sudden they start um, becoming, you know, apologists for other religions or apologists for the world or whatever. It's like, can't you just be happy that I'm, I'm, I finally have kicked alcohol? I finally am off drugs. I'm finally getting my life in order. I finally put my family back together. But again, they start looking at it and going, well, I really kind of need this. I really need this too, but I don't want to let go of this, that, or the other thing. And so now what are you going to do? I'm going to attack the thing that's helping you or I'm going to attack you personally. The Bible says people love darkness because their deeds are evil, right? In their heart of hearts, they are evil. Their deeds are evil. They like evil. They like the, the carnality. They like the sin. They enjoy the sin. They don't want to give up their sin, <laughs> okay? And so they're going to love darkness. And if they love darkness, they're going to hate light. You can't love darkness and love light at the same time. You're going to hate the light. And you're you can't really take it out on God. Some people try, like act like, oh, I'm going to get out there and there's no God, blah, blah, blah. But more frequently, they're going to attack what? The representative. And that's what they did. This is also something that I will do a real quick run through some scriptures and show you that it's very consistent, right? Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Understand, at base, at bottom, at, at the ultimate, we are facing spiritual forces. But spiritual forces manifest through physical ones. Satan has... Right, he's in his little throne room. He's in. He's huddled over the, uh, you know, with his generals making plans. Right, the gates of hell, the strategies of the enemy. But how do those things come about? Quite frequently, they come about through the physical. There are people that do the devil's bidding, knowingly or unknowingly. Okay, so who do you think was behind, you know, Eliab, right? If ultimately it, it boils down to God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, which team is Eliab on when he's trying to discourage 
David. Who's he working for? You only have two options. He's working for Yahweh or he's working for Satan, right? Well, he's working for Satan in that moment, okay? <clears throat> and this is the way it goes. We, we can over-spiritualize this like, oh, no, 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 we're just, we're, we're fighting, we're fighting spiritual enemies. We are, but they manifest most of the time in the physical because that's where we are actual living and that's where they're going to try and stop us, okay? Matthew 16, 23, but he turned to Peter, he being Jesus, uh, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Whoa, what's going on? Get behind me, Satan. But who was Satan using? Peter, right? And even for a quote-unquote good reason, he just didn't want to hear, see Jesus go to the cross and have to suffer all these things. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Even though you might even have the right intention, you know, you, you you hear these things and you don't want that to happen to me. Okay, fine. But it's the will of God. And therefore, by you trying to stop it, you're a hindrance to the things of God, the work of God. Okay? This is exactly the same as the people in the book of Acts. There's a, in Acts 5, uh, 17 and 18, it says, But the high priest, Acts 5, 17 and 18, But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. This is people who they are representatives of the, the sort of the former God-given, God-ordained system of worship, right? The, the, the Jewish system. God is the one that set that up. And so here they are acting as the high priest, and he sees these jokers these Christians, these new this newfangled sect of people running around talking about Jesus, right? He's filled with jealousy, right? So motives that aren't quite necessarily so pure. And then he arrests them and he becomes a hindrance to them. He becomes an opposition to them, external opposition to the church. Well, earlier in the chapter, same chapter, Acts 5, 1 and 2, you see internal opposition with Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts 6, 1, you see internal opposition where people start complaining and murmuring and whining and bickering about the, the daily food distribution and how it needs to happen and all this stuff. I have a whole series on uh, Spotify slash YouTube out there on false brethren, false prophets, false teachers, all this stuff. You can go and check that out because I go through a lot of the scriptures. I talk a lot about this um, and it, it's, it's very in-depth. It's like five parts or something on just these things on the opposition that we have, specifically internal opposition. But we're going to have opposition. 2 Timothy 3, 8 and 9 says this, But just as Janez and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. There's going to be opposition. Just as back in the day, they opposed Moses. They're going to oppose the truth. People will oppose the truth. Now, who is it ultimately that we're fighting? Was Moses ultimately fighting Janez and Jambres? No, he was fighting demonic forces behind Egypt and Pharaoh and all this stuff. But but yeah, it was Janez and Jambres and Pharaoh. And who, who did God kill in the Red Sea? It wasn't just a bunch of demons. It was all these people, <laughs> right? Who were the plagues on? He It wasn't the, the 10 plagues against the demonic host. These were 10 plagues that actually had an impact in the physical realm, right? People had their firstborn children killed because they did not have the blood over their doorposts. People suffered from the locusts and the boils, okay? So there is a eternal ultimate enemy that is the base of all things, and that is the spiritual side, and that's what we talk about or see Paul talking about uh, in Ephesians 6. But we need to also understand, yes, yes, this will come about, and we shouldn't be surprised when we see it in a physical sense, people coming against us, things trying to stop us, doors apparently looking like they're, they're, they're closing or whatever, even though we know God said 
wait, how God said to do this, but now the, the finances are drying up or God said to do this, but now, you know, we, we were ripping and roaring and going and now the crowd has dwindled down to, you know, five people out of a hundred. Again, there are things that the enemy will do to try and set back or even stop the work of God. And I want to encourage you today, if you are seeing setbacks and you are seeing things that are uh, potential hindrances on your road to ministry, on your road to doing what is true and right and good, as long as you have the correct goal in mind, the correct prize in mind, you're setting yourself on the things of God, then I want to encourage you to stay on that path and not be deterred when even your brethren, those you thought were your brethren, stand in opposition. Now, I, I don't want to, I just had a, a thought, a pastoral thought, right? I, I also want to be careful here because sometimes people are like, I'm going to go do this for God. And maybe they've got a leader that's like, oh, man, that's awesome. You know, maybe we need to work on this or that or whatever. How dare they try to hold me back? I knew my pastor didn't love me. Here I am trying to take the reins and do this ministry. And my pastor has the audacity to pastor me. Well, by golly, I'm throwing off the chains of oppression and I'm going for God. We need to be careful if that's our attitude. Because when a man of God, when someone who loves us, who does have that ultimate view, the ultimate goal in mind, takes their foot and puts it on the brake pedal, maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's a reason. There are times where that can be the case. And that's something that needs to be looked at prayerfully, approached thoughtfully, and really approached directly with that leader. Can you explain why? Can we understand? And that's where you're going to get the understanding. Because sometimes a leader is putting the brakes on because they see issues and flaws in your character. You're not ready for this yet. Uh, or, yeah, let's go. That's awesome. But uh, we need we need to accumulate some, some, some things here. We need to shower this in prayer a little bit before we just go, you know, hog wild on this. Or whatever it is. There's lots and lots and lots of reasons why somebody could want to do something and see something through. But they might have to steer it a little bit. Okay. The other option is, yeah, you're, the leader is just trying to put their, their boot on you, trying to control you, trying to stop the work of God. That is possible. It, I've seen it multiple times in uh, my life. Uh, not specifically just with, with, you know, with me, I'm talking about with other people. I can see where people are being manipulated or they're, they're hindered from the work of God. And when they approach their man of God or the person, you know, trying to give them some wisdom and insight, there's nothing there. It's just kind of like, well, you just do what I say. Well, 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 why do you think I'm not ready? Or why do you, well, you know, there's a fill in the blank with something that's not the Bible or fill in the blank with something that's not like, you know, wisdom. Let's wait. Let's look. Let's see. You know, it's just like, nah. I mean, again, we have to approach those kinds of things with wisdom because we don't want to run roughshod and go and try and do something that we are not equipped for. We are going to talk a little bit about David being equipped in the next podcast, so stay tuned for that. But uh, I want to end with this right here. Right, The other men in the army, they were not willing to risk their necks against Goliath because they had their eyes on the wrong prize. David had his eyes on the correct prize, and he won the battle before he ever picked up a rock to put it in his sling. He won the battle. Why? Because he had the, he had his eyes on the correct prize and he knew God is going to take this joker out. Okay? Now, just like I mentioned with opposition and the enemy, they're going to use things in the physical. God uses things in the physical. So he used David to take Goliath out. But God is the one who was the focus and God is the one who provided the victory. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. This is Paul speaking. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What's his focus? I'm pressing on for the cause of Christ. He's got his right goal, his right focus. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do. This is Paul saying this is what I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I 
press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are, here we go, mature, think this way. And if anything you think, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. People that are mature in God, they establish their priorities correctly. They put the right goal in the right place. They put the cause of Christ in the right priority and the right focus, and they push forward. They forget what lies behind. They, they don't worry about some of the hindrances, the problems, the issues. They push forward. They don't let their past dictate their future or even their present. They don't let their past hold them back, but they also don't let their past be the thing they always have to go to. Why? Because they're pushing forward. I, I love victories in the past. I can draw strength from them. I can gain courage and comfort from them, but I'm not going to just sit down and think about just the victories of the past. There are victories in the future that need to be won. And so he presses on, and all people who are truly mature, they will operate this way. So let me give you a final encouraging word today. Let's be mature saints of God. Let's put the cause of Christ, the cause of the kingdom of God as our forefront. That's our thing. That's our true north. That's the beacon that we're headed toward. And let's let all these other things fall into that vein so that we can say, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Yes, there is. A higher calling, a higher purpose, a higher cause. And that's what drives us forward, just like it drove Paul. So I love you guys. I hope this has been helpful for you. And um, I encourage you to go back, listen again, write down these scriptures, go and look, look at them yourself. There's a lot here, a lot packed into this, but I believe this is absolutely from God, a word to you to encourage you to press on with your sights rightly trained on the cause and call and purpose of Jesus Christ. Love y'all. God bless you. And we will catch you on the next episode.